to episode 79 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. As always, I'm joined by Bryson and Jacob is back this week. How are you guys? Glad to be here. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Jacob? I am doing great and glad to be back again. Yeah, and you finally have a computer now. So no more recording on your phone. So hopefully we've gotten rid of all those problems. Um, But lots of stuff to talk about today. There has been a full week of baseball or as close to a full week of baseball as we have had in a very long time. Of course, now I'm sure everyone knows that the Blue Jays are not playing this weekend. They were scheduled to face the Phillies and then the baseball world has come crashing down and we'll talk about that later. But I want to go back to this week and look back at what's happened um, in the Blue Jays game right after we recorded last Sunday against Tampa Bay and then the four-game series against Washington, which they split 2-2 two and two after losing that third game of the Tampa Bay series. Um, what are your impressions from this week? It's the most we've seen of these players, the most consistent sample size we've seen of the Blue Jays on the field. So what are your first impressions and thoughts of what we're seeing from the players? Well, to begin with it, uh, I think everyone agrees and everything. everybody knows that this team should be a lot better than 3-4, and four, unfortunately, but that's just the way baseball is. Uh, there's a ton of games that, you know, unfortunately you just you, you blow away and you, uh, you, you let go of it. And I think that's what we've seen, actually, in most of these games that the Blue Jays have played since um, last Sunday, Mark. We, we've discussed this already, that there was kind of a... Or when we discussed last Saturday, there was the um, Sam Gavilio meltdown in the 10th inning. Or not the 10th inning, sorry. Uh, early on later in the game, around the 8th inning. And unfortunately, this has happened uh, a few time, a few more times since we've recorded. But overall, other than, I guess, the late game, uh, late game problems that the Jays have been facing, uh, the team continues to look good, in my opinion. Um, you know, the offense has been up and down, I, I would assume, uh, this week. You know, there's been games where they've looked good. There's been games where they've looked... Uh, mediocre at best, and uh, that's something that, unfortunately, based off of the way this team looks, uh, can't happen. You know, this o- offense needs to be consistent, and maybe maybe they just need to get in a groove. Well, hopefully they will or have the chance to if there's a season next week, but that's just something that I think that this team is missing now is the consistency from the bats just because of the bullpen. We know the bullpen um, creates some problems, and I mean we've seen it again this week going back to the games that the Jays should have won, but they've lost, and I mentioned that uh, just about a minute ago, that they should be a lot better than three and four. But the you know it's been great to see the the offense when you know when the offense does show up. It's it's been good to see it because they has been leading the way. There's been a few disappointments, of course, and in particular would be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who has struggled. And then there's been other key pieces, and you know the guy who's pretty much leading the way right now would be Teoscar Hernandez, and he has been you know coming out of the gate um, on fire. I know you know another honorable mention would be Kevin Biggio, who's also uh, playing spectacular, but you know that's the breakdown pretty much. And it was also a bizarre week for the Blue Jays. You know they were playing their home opener in Washington as the home team. Uh, it was even more bizarre to see OK Blue Jays being played through Nationals Park. Uh, that was a bizarre scene. And then I think they had Tim Langton going through the speakers too. It was it was really it was really weird and it was very odd. But you know even more of an odd finish to this week for not only the Blue Jays but the rest of the MLB with games being canceled because of outbreaks of COVID-19 you know the Blue Jays plans have pretty much been uh, ruined you know they're not playing until Tuesday and unfortunately that's not even a guarantee that that's we're going to make it to Tuesday so you know it's bizarre week something that we've never been through before and it's just bizarre to take in that you know a, a, a pretty you know a good chunk of the league isn't playing games but when you look at it from the Blue Jays actually playing three and four to start you know, not bad, you know, we'd like to be better, obviously, but 
you know, I guess you can't complain. There's other teams like the Red Sox who've kind of had a slow start and the Rays. The Jays are up there with them. And the best team in the division is by far the Yankees, who I believe are 5-1 and one now. So I think that's something that we all expected. But hey, um, decent start. And hopefully the Jays can get over 500 if they continue to play next week. But uh, these late game meltdowns is definitely hurting them already. And I think it's something that's pretty noticeable by everybody. Yeah, I, the meltdowns in the late innings are just... I've said this pre, uh, before, in a 60-game season, you cannot lose those games. You know, if the Blue Jays want to make the playoffs, they they need to close games. And I guess we can kind of make an excuse for the game with Ken Giles because, I mean, the Blue Jays should have won that game. But, again, should have doesn't equal a win. But I think the weird thing about this year so far is, overall, the team has not been very good. But, as you mentioned, we've seen some very good individual performances with uh, Teoscar Hernandez. Swinging very hot bat. I think he hit uh, two home runs in the the last game against the Nationals. You know he's been very good. I think Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has also looked very uh, comfortable in left field. We saw uh, I think it was in the Nate Pearson start where uh, the Nationals had two on and I think two outs, and he made that great catch to keep the game tied. Uh, I, overall, I mean, I'm I am imp- I'm impressed to a degree with the team knowing that it is still kind of a rebuilding or at least the end of a rebuilding era. Uh, we've seen this team definitely has a lot more speed than it did in previous years. But I think one of the problems that I've seen with this team is they've just, they're not getting on base enough, you know, getting on base when you're fast is great, but we've just not been seeing that. And I think this three and four record is very obvious or, or is a very obvious uh, outcome or result of this because there've been a few games where they've hit three or four home runs, but they've all been solo shots and uh, they're losing because you, you know, it's great if you hit four home runs, but if they're all uh, solo shots and your opposing team is getting a two run single, well, they've just cut your lead in half. And uh, I just, I think the problem is, is we've not seen them capitalize on the opportunities that they've had uh, going back to the start Pearson versus Scherzer. I think it was like the eighth or the ninth inning. It was late in the game and Scherzer made that error to trying to throw to second base. And I think it was Santiago Espinal, whoever it was on base then went to third and they didn't capitalize. And if they had, if they had scored that run, they would have won the game. And it's just, I think what we're seeing is this team is they're okay they're on the brink of being good, but it's just, they're not there yet. And it's just, it's, it's frustrating. I won't deny it. Um, it's just, it's part of the growing pains. And I think this, if there is a season next, next week and further on, I think that this hopefully is, these things are hopefully things that can be resolved because look at these guys, these guys were all excited to come into the season. We've heard about how much they were bonding in the Rogers center and, they all know that they're not playing well. They want to win. And I think that they definitely could uh, come back. Uh, if that makes sense, you know, they, they come back from this four day break and say, you know what, okay, yeah, we're, we struggled. Let's get better. And I think that is definitely a possibility, but overall, I think the, the starters have been great. We've seen, except for Ryu, we kind of struggled in his, uh, his second start, but his first start was yet a short leash. So it's kind of harder to determine how well he could have been, but I think the rest of the starters, Shoemaker, they've all been great. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a tough, it's a tough year so far. Like I said, this is kind of the end of a rebuild and it's hard because you want to win. You're so close to that point, but 
It's just the, the individual results I don't think are translating into team results yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the offense has struggled a bit. It is weird. It's like you said, Jacob, because we've seen this team out hit other teams a lot. You know, I think it was the first four games they had more hits than the Rays in the first three and then the Nationals in the fourth. But at the same time, they just aren't capitalizing on those chances. They're stranding a lot of guys. But I do want to talk about the pitching. Jacob, you mentioned the rotation. It's been solid. I've been really happy with what we've got. You know, Trent Thornton wasn't great in his start, but I don't think anyone expected him to be great. The big disappointment would be Ryu because, you know, he gave up a – I think it was three runs in his first outing and only went about 4.2 innings. And then now his second outing, he struggled a lot against the Nationals. So that's disappointing. And there's some concerns about his fastball velocity, but I wouldn't be too concerned yet because it's only two starts. You know, we've really only seen him for what, eight, nine innings of work. So I'm not scared about that. And as we've harped on, the big concern is the bullpen. Um, I want to talk about Ken Giles. You mentioned him, Jacob, because... He came out in Sunday's game. It was a tie game, I believe, um, late in the game. and Or, excuse me, the Blue Jays were up. And then they brought in Ken Giles. His velocity was way down. I think the fastest he hit was 94 after, you know, he's a guy who throws 100 miles an hour. His nickname is 100 Miles Giles. Um, the trainers, Charlie Montoyo, Pete Walker, went out to the mound. They talked to him. They kept him in the game. And then he walked the next batter, and then they took him out. To me, and to really everyone watching, it was clear that he was injured. And uh, I know we want to talk about Charlie Montoyo, but in this case for me, Charlie Montoyo made a big mistake in leaving him in that game. I know a lot of people were frustrated about that, myself included, because you know it's a manager's decision to take a guy out of the game. You cannot go to the mound and ask Giles, you know, you want to stay in the game? He says, yes, you leave him in. No, he is clearly injured. The Blue Jays are hanging on to this game by, you know, one run up against the the Tampa Bay Rays. They give up that run. They go to the 10th inning and then they give up the, um, the, the run in the 10th, I believe, if I'm thinking of the right game. Um, you, you can't do that. Like Charlie Montoyo has made a lot of mistakes. To me, that's the most criminal of all the mistakes he has made so far this year. And we'll be talking about whether Charlie Montoyo deserves to stay as Blue Jay manager. But to me, that was a really huge mistake. And I was really frustrated by that when I was watching it. It's, I, I don't know if how much I want to blame Montoyo. I know I, a part of me feels bad because of the situations that he's been put in already. We, we are, Mark, you and I discussed last week what happened with Sam Gavilio or why we, he went to Sam Gavilio in the, um, the eighth inning. And I, you know, just hurdle after hurdle seems to be coming at it. But in this case, I don't, it's just with Ken Giles, you know, he, he's their guy and nobody's denying that he's the best, he's the best, uh, player in the bullpen. He's their closer. So to leave him out there for what an extra, you know, leave him out there for an extra at bat after he says he's fine. I think I would understand, but the, I do think that they allowed him in, a, and they, it was he was in way too long, and he was in there for an extra two to three batters. Uh, we know what happened. He ended up loading the bases. They pulled him, and then uh, after that, that is when the uh, Nationals won the game. So, or sorry, that's when they they lost the game, the Jays. So, I just I don't know what to you know how much I want to blame him for it, but of course it is frustrating, and there's no doubt about that. But you know another thing that it shows is a lack of trust in the other guys in the bullpen because if you have to pull Ken Giles out of the game, 
who are you going to bring in? And that's the, that's the problem with this bullpen. And we've already discussed this, even going back to March, that this was going to be the clear weakness of this team. And the only way for the Jays to win games was to, you know, have a a decent uh, lead, like a margin of a lead going into the later innings, whether it's two runs, three runs. But if it's something like a one-run game or a tie game, uh, unfortunately, the likelihood of, you know, getting out of that with a win is very unlikely and probably, you know, less likely than a team with a better bullpen just because of the depth that the Jays had. Um, they had they got a few play, they got a few pitchers back a few days ago. They had, uh, well, first of all, Ryan Barucki joined the team, and he's out of the bullpen right now. Uh, Wilmer Font's back with the team as well. He started the season on the injured list for, I guess, unknown reasons or unfit to play, whatever you want to call it. He's back now. But it's just, I don't know who else, you know, it just shows a lack of trust who else um, Charlie Montoya was going to consider bringing in. And unfortunately, Ken Giles was convincing, I guess, enough to them. But, you know, we see this with anybody. Um, we see this with anybody saying, you know, if they're injured, you know, they're not going to pull themselves out of the game. And Ken Giles was, you know, adamant to stay in the game. And unfortunately, that costed the Jays uh, a few runs and that costed them the game. But, you know, the, the concern now when you look at it is Ken Giles' health. Who knows if he'll be back this year because of what's going on uh, with the shortened season. But... It's, you know, I don't know what to expect. I don't know if he will be back. You know, there's they're optimistic he'll be back. But it is frustrating to see Charlie Montoyo in that position, uh, leaving him in for a little bit too long. And in that case, you know, if you want to leave him in for an extra batter and try, uh, I'm, I'm fully on board with that, and that's what they did. But he was in there a little bit too long. And I just think it's a, it's a moment where Charlie Montoyo also froze just because it's like it was almost like he didn't know what to do. Beyond Ken Giles, he it was it looked like a moment where he was just lost, and I, you know, a part of me feels bad for it for him, but another part of me uh, needs to you know come to the conclusion that you know he's a major league manager, and this is stuff that's going to be happening you know all the time to him. He's going to get multiple stuff thrown at him, curveballs, you know, injury like it, multiple curveballs are going to come at him. He's going to de- be dealing with injuries, uh, other bullpen situations. So this is something that Char- Charlie Montoyo needs to adapt to. And he's arguably costed the team a few wins already. And, you know, part of the blame is on him for why the Jays are three and four. Yeah, so I, I think with the Ken Giles thing, it, it kind of is tough because, like you said, he is the closer. He's the older guy in terms of uh, major league experience on this team. So you kind of trust him in certain situations, especially if he says, I'm fine. You kind of expect him to be fine. But... You know, at the same time, he looked terrible. He And I don't mean his pitches were bad. I mean, he looked, the, the emotions on his face, he looked uncomfortable. And I think, to a degree, Charlie Montoyo's hands were tied. But at the same time, I feel like he he's, can kind of see that he wasn't doing well. He should have said, no, nah, like, get out. Because then it, it wasn't fair to, I think it was Brian Moran came in with a 3-2 count uh, and the bases loaded, I think. And he threw a first pitch ball to whoever it was, and then the Rays scored a run, which you know it, it, it sucks to be in that situation. And I really, I'm not mad at him, I, at Brian Moran. It, it's not fair to him because he only had one shot, and you know I think unfortunately Charlie Montoyo did I think feel a little bit lost because he's you know like I said he clearly saw that Ken Giles was uncomfortable but he wanted to finish off the game. And I do get it. It's the, they had two outs at that point. You know, you're the all-star closer. You want to, you want to finish the game off. And he just, he tried, but unfortunately it just, it didn't work out. 
And I think, you know, lesson learned, you know, from now on, Ken Giles or uh, Charlie Montoya needs to say, no, I'm taking control of this. I, I see something that I don't like. And, you know, in the future, whether it be this season, if there is a season or in the future when the Blue Jays are good, he says, no, nope, trust me, you know, we're making a change here. Mm-hmm. Um, we should also talk about Nate Pearson. I don't know how much there is to discuss here, but he made his major league debut. It was super exciting, and he looked phenomenal. Five innings, shutout ball. Um, it was a really great appearance. It was really great to see him in the majors and really encouraging um, to see that success already in the majors. Um, so I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but I really enjoyed watching him on the mound. You know, honestly, I was a little bit nervous for him because you know, Nate Pearson has social media. He knows that the hype was real for him, and mm. he knew he was against Max Scherzer and the, the defending champions, and he went out and just was lights out. I, I think we all knew his fastball was going to be good, but honestly, he had a ch- – uh, I think his repertoire was a changeup and a slider where the other two pitches or a curveball, the other one that he primarily threw, and oh my god, if I was if I was a hitter, I would just, I would just say, yeah, I just – get me out automatically because that his secondary pitches, we all knew, like I said, his fastball is great, but his breaking balls, they look like, you know, a changeup and then they just do a, they just dip instantly. And there's, it's, he's, he's going to be a great guy. He was crazy. And yeah. And he didn't, he didn't even have all his velocity. Like I think he topped out at like 96, but mm-hmm. he's still, you know, he was tearing the Washington nationals up. I think they only got, three hits off of him, if I remember correctly, three hits and a walk, I think, um, over five innings. So, yeah, he was phenomenal. I'm really excited to see him start. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed, next week if we keep playing. Yeah, he she, he was he was crazy. And as much as I kind of think that the rule about um, keeping a guy in the minors for a certain amount of time so the service time can extend for another year, it does suck for them, but if we have him for until 2026, geez, he, this, this team will be lights out when they're in the playoffs. And hopefully this guy, Nate Pearson will be leading them to a world series in game seven one day. Yeah. We got Ryu for four years, Pearson until 2026. And then it's an exciting time to be a Blue Jay fan. But I mentioned Charlie Montoyo earlier. We complained about his decision to, you know, put in Ken Giles, keep him in the game um, instead of taking him out when it was clear to all of us that he had an injury. Um, That wasn't the first mistake he had made, and that wasn't the last mistake. He has been getting a lot of criticism for his bullpen decisions, for even his lineup decisions to some extent. I mean, he is the leader in the clubhouse, and we've seen struggles with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. We've seen struggles with, you know, injuries so far, although that's not really his fault when we, you know, injuries are more prevalent this year than they are in years past. But I think a lot of people are frustrated with Charlie Montoyo right now. Um, And we've seen, you know, the F word floating around him, you know, is he in the hot seat? Should he be fired? Um, What do you guys think about um, his job security and the job that he has done so far this season? I just, I think his hands are, I think he's just had a, um, a run of bad luck, but unfortunately, how much can you call it bad luck and then realize that he's a major league manager and this is stuff that everybody deals with and this is something that he's going to have to eventually adapt to. And I think that's what's starting to get people a little frustrated is that he's consistently made mistakes or, you know, people think he's been making mistakes. And uh, this is one of the reasons why the Jays are three and four rather than something like 
uh, I don't know, four and three, maybe five and two, something like a better record. But in terms of the hot seat, unfortunately, or I, I won't say unfortunately, I just don't think he's anywhere close to it, guys. I really don't. This is one of Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins' people. This is the guy that came in and replaced John Gibbons. This is their guy that they brought in to manage this team during this rebuild. And I don't think he's anywhere close to being considered to be fired. Whether you guys agree or not, that's just my opinion. I don't think they're looking actively or even considering making a change at all. I just think that this is something that this guy or Charlie Montoya is going to be here for the long haul. I really do think that this is the guy. And if any, I just, I don't see him being fired at all. Um, I don't know. Like, I, again, I don't know if you guys agree or not, but I just, I, I don't see it. I, I think he's the, the guy, their mastermind, the guy that they brought in. And he's, he came in here for the long term. And let, let's remember too, he's only met, he's only been here for one year and, you know, half of this year, or not even quarter of this year of this 60 game season. So he's relatively new still, but you know, he def things like this that he's been doing hasn't exactly won over the, the fan base. And Mark, I know you've been frustrated as well based off of, uh, you know, what we've been saying in our group chat, but I, I don't know. I mean, he's been, he's, he's been throwing, you know, he's been getting a lot of situations where Ken Giles and then, you know, I want, I want to highlight a few other things that he did, you know, in, in, in uh, terms of these three games, Mark, that you said that he, you know, he's part of the reason why they may be lost. So let's go back to last Sunday. Uh, the game went into extra innings and Shun Yamaguchi came in, somebody that we were wanting to see over Sam Gavilio when we recorded last Saturday. And, and um, Yamaguchi did not do well at all. He didn't record a single out, and that was the reason why the Blue Jays lost the game. He got the loss. Let's go to Wednesday. Exact same thing happened. So if you're Charlie and Charlie Montoyo's head, you know, you're probably expecting that, you know, let's bring him back in. Let's see, because usually what these players do, and people, everyone says this about baseball. The best part about baseball is that you play the next day. And this is something that you can come out and redeem yourself relatively quick. So, you know, that's the mindset that I'm sure Charlie Montoyo had. It's probably the mindset I would have had, too, to bring him in and try to get him to redeem himself. He came in, uh, and the same thing happened. But he he got he pitched one full inning, so he got, he got a few outs. But he gave up two hits, three earned runs. He walked two, and he struck out two. So in that case, um, bring him in. And for some reason, he didn't get pulled maybe he maybe he could have gotten pulled a little bit earlier you know Charlie Montoyo again in a situation where he's leaving guys in for too long so you can argue that he Yamaguchi should have been pulled and now you can everyone can probably understand that Yamaguchi is definitely not the guy to come in in these late game situations so hey uh in the bullpen like this I guess who who's next on the list so try another guy and that's that's the way I'm looking at it now but I just I don't know why he was in there for that long based off of that pitching line for one inning and for Thursday's game in Washington, I don't blame him as much. Maybe maybe he left in Ryu a little bit too long as well because uh, Ryu did get knocked around pretty good. He gave up nine hits, and he failed to get out of the fifth inning for the second straight start. And Mark, uh, from what you said earlier too, I'm not too concerned about uh, Ryu's struggles, but in this case, in a 60-game season, you need to act like this is a game that matters. This isn't a game in April when it's, you know, 10 degrees outside and it's freezing. This is a game where you're later in the season, in a 60-game season, and you might have to consider sometimes doing what's best for the team, even if we use your best pitcher on paper. So those are some situ those are the mistakes he made that I've pointed down. I'm sure you guys um, have pointed that down as well because it's fairly obvious, but I don't see him being anywhere close to being fired unless this continues. But I, I, I think Charlie Montoya will bear down a bit. But he's going to have to adapt quickly because this is something that everybody deals with. And as much as you feel bad or make the excuse that he's been, been put in tough situations with injuries and, you know, the list goes on, 
he's not the only one that deals with, everyone deals with this. Every single manager deals with this. And, you know, the best managers are the ones who overcome from this and learn how to adapt on the fly because sometimes games, you know, nothing goes as planned. We know that. You have to adapt on the fly. So um, I, I, I'm not even close to being considering Montoyo for being even discussed as being replaced. But I, I still like Charlie Montoya. I think he's a good guy in the clubhouse and I think he's good at the players. But it's time for him to, you know, if there's if they play on Tuesday, it's time for him to wake up. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to be fired this year. Uh, I'm not really going to entertain the thought of next year because who knows what's going to happen? Who knows if we even have a season and if we, uh, the rest of the season. And if we don't, then you can't fire him after what is it? Uh, seven games, I think. Um, so I, it's just, it's tough. I think the problem with him is that he's pitching with more emotion than logic. Uh, we've seen, as you mentioned, Bryson putting Yamaguchi in the 10th inning again against the nationals as a bit of a redeeming factor for him. But I just I I don't know I I would have if you wanted to give Yamaguchi a time a chance to redeem himself you put him in in the regular inning you know if he does give a run up at least you have the chance to make up for it whereas you know even I think they were uh, the home team in that game they still didn't but you know just take a little bit of the pressure off him you know if you have a two one or you know whatever type of lead put him in give him some t- chance chances to redeem himself but. I just, I just, I, I don't agree with a lot of the choices he's making just because, you know, if a guy is struggling, don't put him in these high leverage situations, uh, with Gavilio, it's, it's kind of tough again, but you know, take him out earlier. Don't give up or don't, don't give him enough time to allow all those runs. Uh, but I, I think if the season does continue, I think that he will learn from these things. I think he, is the type of guy, you know, he's in contact with the players a lot. Management's probably on him all the time. I think this is going to be the year where they say, okay, you know what? Playoffs are a possibility, but we got to settle down. We got to we got to do what it takes to win. Uh, and I, I I do think it's that will happen. I think he'll rebound from this. He'll he'll realize that over this break that they have that okay, you know what? My players haven't been the greatest, but also I haven't been giving them the chance to be great. I put them in kind of tougher situations, and I think that, like I said, I think he'll rebound. I think that that has to happen, and like I said, I, I don't think he's going to be fired this year. Next year, I think next year will kind of be the year that they figure it out, if they even want to entertain firing him. But for now, I wouldn't be concerned if I was him about having a job. Jacob, I don't even, you know, as much as you want to look back at March and say, you know, spring training doesn't matter, Yamaguchi didn't even pitch well in spring training. So, you know, what's, I don't know what you guys, your concern is with him individually, but, you know, he, he made four appearances in this back in March. I know it felt like forever ago, but he, he had a nine ERA and in nine innings, like, it's not like he pitched well in March either. So I don't know what the, I don't know what it is with Yamaguchi. I don't know if you guys are concerned based off these two appearances, but yeah, I just wanted to say that too. It's not like he he hasn't looked comfortable at all from what we've seen back in March and to now. Yeah, I think honestly, if Giles is out for even just a large portion of the year, I think the Blue Jays are done, unfortunately, because like you said, I think Charlie Montoya does seem a tiny bit lost and he doesn't really know who should pitch when and in what type of situation. And if you're one... Uh, type of certainty is not there then it'll be tough for them to justify making the playoffs and it's just it's 
again, it, I think part of the problem is, like you said, the spring training 2.0 type thing. It it just it was kind of tough because they're they're they had their spring training and then they were off for whatever it was like two or three months and then they had two weeks to kind of get back into get back into things. But at the same time, I don't know how much of a justification that is just because, you know, he clearly, Charlie Montero knows something if he was hired as the manager. And I just think that he should take this break uh, with the the fact that they're not playing the Phillies this weekend. I think he should really reevaluate his choices and his strategy in terms of games and and how he manages them. Uh, But it just... It's a tough situation. I think, like I said earlier in the show, this is just this is a weird season because they're at the end, hopefully, of a rebuild. It was a sixty-game season that was supposed to be a normal season, and then it was put on pause, and then it was okay, get ready in two weeks. And it's just, it's, it's just a weird year. And like I said, I'm not. That's not an excuse, but I think we do have to take that into consideration and say, okay, well, maybe if this season is a very frustrating one, where where we want Charlie Montoya to just get out of Toronto, I think that he'll, this will, this will be the year where he kind of figures out what he needs to do going forward. And hopefully he doesn't take the whole season. Hopefully it takes, like I said, this break or maybe a week or so. Still, that's not very good. But, you know, if he can reevaluate things and adapt quickly, then I think that this will hopefully be the end of that conversation, but the only time will tell what he does. Yeah, something definitely seems off with Yamaguchi, and I don't know if that's just because, you know, he's made two appearances this season, and they're both in the 10th inning, starting with a runner on second base. Like, how much of it is his fault that he hasn't been able to get any outs? Like, his major league debut was in a tie game in the 10th, or excuse me, his major league debut was when the Blue Jays were up one in the 10th inning, runner on second base, and he has to get three outs all of a sudden when he's never thrown a pitch in the majors. He is a long reliever slash a starter. He's a stretched out guy. He's not used to pitching in, you know, one stressful, high leverage situation. So I don't know how much of his problems have just been, you know, personal problems, like not totally having all his pitches yet, or whether it is just not being used in the right situation. And personally, I'm leaning towards the second one. I think if you put him into a situation, you know, it's, I don't know, sixth inning, the Blue Jays are down five to one. You know, they pretty much have no chance of winning. I think if you put him in a situation like that, he would be a lot more comfortable. He would get his feet under him and... Um, he can clean up stuff, get used to pitching in the majors, get used to pitching in the U.S., get used to, you know, pitching as a guy in the role that Charlie Montoyo seems to want to use him in, which is a one-inning high-leverage guy, which I disagree with. And I think this goes back to, again, the use of the bullpen. I know you guys just talked about how Charlie Montoyo doesn't have a lot have a lot of options in the bullpen and, you know, his hands are tied, but... I said this last week, I'll say it again, I don't really believe that. I don't really believe that, you know, these these pitchers in the bullpen can't go back-to-back days, even if it is early in the season. You know, A.J. Cole, Jordan Romano, um, Jacob Wagaspak we saw, though he is more of a long guy. These guys should be able to go back-to-back days. You know, we're at the very start of the season. I don't believe that their arms are already so tired or are not yet totally ramped up that you can't use them 
in back-to-back days. And that's my frustration. I don't know if that's Charlie Montoyo's fault. I don't know if that's, you know, Pete Walker's fault. I don't know if that's a, the, the, the high-performance department's fault. Uh, I don't know whose fault that is, but it's really frustrating that, it, that, that this team is so cautious with their players. And maybe that's just me being stupid and, and, you know, not looking all the way down the road to seeing what this, the, the team's plan is for years to come, but I don't understand it. And I don't understand the use of long guys, Sam Gavilio, Yamaguchi in, you know, high leverage situations, you know, in the Blue Jays last game, Jacob Waggis pack came in, the Blue Jays were down. He pitched a few innings. That's exactly how a long reliever should be used. You should not be using Shun Yamaguchi in the 10th inning of a game that you're up by one run, a runner on second. You should not be using Sam Gavilio in a tie game in the eighth inning. These guys should be used when the team is down or when you need long relief, not when it's a close game. And I think that's my key frustration with Montoyo so far. Another thing, not to to, to jump on the, the bandwagon too much here, but Montoyo hasn't been very, uh, I guess, transparent about his mistakes to the media. Um, obviously, he's been getting a lot of criticism. I just gave him a lot of criticism, but I think... It'd be fair for him to come out after the game, say, yeah, I put Sam Gavilio in there. He blew it. I made a mistake. I won't be doing that again. I learned from my mistakes, and I'm sorry. Instead, he comes out and says, you know, this series is a moral victory. I don't know what that even means because it, it doesn't affect the bottom line. If it's a moral victory, I want real victories. He says... Um, that that the media is nitpicking on him too much. That he was happy with um, his his choices. That you know the the thing about a manager is that you have to be happy with your choices when you go to bed at night. And he was. That's not what I want to hear from you when you just lost the game by mismanaging the bullpen. You should be acknowledging your mistakes, saying, "Yep, I made a mistake. I learned from it. I'll do better next time." You shouldn't just be you know backing yourself into a corner and saying what you did was right. Uh, that that those are really my two key frustrations: the use of bullpen guys out of where they should be used, and the fact that Montoyo doesn't seem to acknowledge his mistakes. You very rarely see that, uh, Mark. I know what you're saying, but you very rarely see, you know, mm-hmm. a player being thrown under the bus. I mean, if Montoyo wants to come out and say that he could have done things better, yes, you know, we I'm I'm sure that he could do that. But if he's gonna say, you know, I, I brought in Sam Gavilio, it was a mistake. You know, as much as it was, you know. How, how how does that affect his player morale and Sam Gavilio? How does Gavilio feel personally? So I think that's what you'll see, but you very you very rarely see that. And in terms of that, you, you pretty much hear, you know, people, GMs, coaches say nothing to the media. So in terms of a moral victory, there you go. He's pretty much saying nothing, and he's pretty much avoiding any sort of criticism. And, you know, going back to his, you know, his use of the bullpen, it's, like I said, it's almost like he's using it. He's just going through the list. He's like, okay, uh, Gavilio didn't work. Yamaguchi didn't work. Uh, who's next in a high leverage situation? Because outside of Giles, before the, you know, before he was injured, I don't, I really don't know who he knew he was going to bring in until the ninth inning. He, he clearly doesn't know what to do. And is that just because of the bullpen depth, or is that because he just hasn't gotten enough time to know the bullpen since summer camp 2.0? I don't know. I don't know what he thinks of the bullpen, but it's pr- pretty obvious that other than Tr- Ken Giles being healthy. He doesn't really know what to do. And, you know, in terms of people pitching back-to-back days, that's just the sport in general, Mark. You know the way it is now with the sports science, people being cautious, load management, you know, back-to-back days, pitch counts, uh, innings limits. It's it's all over the game in fairness to that. But, you know, Montoya 
clearly needs to build more of a blueprint and needs to get more of, of an idea on what to do with the bullpen. And is, if he wants to say, or if he wants to do this, sub, sub, you know, some sort of experiment within the first week, it's it's a huge risk because, like we said, in, if this season continues and they play a 60-game season, you can easily look back at this this week in September from now and say, wow, like, you know, three two or three games that the Jays should have won, they lost. And that could be one of the reasons why they could miss out of a potential uh, postseason spot. So there you go. But it's just, it's, it is frustrating. And you hope that they can put more of a plan together for the bullpen. And you hope to see Ken Giles back this year. Because if Ken Giles isn't back, that is a massive loss. And other than him, he's clearly the only one that Montoyo trusts. Mm-hmm. I guess even if, like, yeah, he doesn't totally know all his relievers yet. Um, a lot of these guys are new to the organization. Like, he can still know what type of pitcher they are. Like, to me, you look at, like, Jordan Romano, like, he's a one-inning guy. He throws heat, he's only going out there for one inning. Anthony Bass, he's only going out there for one inning. Ken Giles, only out there for one inning. A.J. Cole, probably about the same type of guy. Brian Moran, he's a, you know, a specialist. He's only going to be going out there for a few batters as much as you can with the three-batter rule now. And, like, Jacob Wagaspak, Shuni Yamaguchi, Sam Gaviglio, they are long guys. Like, Ryan Brocky, Thomas Hatch, they are long guys. You shouldn't be using them in situations where they aren't pitching multiple innings, facing a lot of batters. So that's my main frustration. Um, but hopefully he figures it out if we see more baseball down the line. But that's a key question as we head into next week. As I mentioned earlier, the Blue Jays not playing right now. Um, there are... Six teams right now that aren't playing, I believe. Just earlier today, we saw the Cardinals had um, five players test positive on their team. The um, or not just players, including coaches and staff. The Phillies had a coach and a clubhouse attendant test positive. So you know the Cardinals are out of commission. The Brewers, who are playing the Cardinals, out of commission. The Phillies, the Nationals, the Blue Jays, and the Marlins are all out of commission right now because either them or their opponents have tested positive or have had exposure to someone who has tested positive. Um, this season was going to be a struggle to get through, and we knew that, but these positive tests and what we're seeing, you know, only one week into the season are very concerning, and they're poking holes in what we thought could be a safe season, and we've seen holes in reports, you know, players going out to restaurants and bars and clubs, um, so there's been a lot of problems in this first week, and you know Rob Manfred and the commissioner's office have told TV stations to have alternate programming ready as of Monday. This season could be canceled. So things have changed a lot, and we might not even see another Blue Jay game. Um, I guess, was this inevitable? Was there a solution to avoid this type of situation? Um and sort of who's to blame in this, I guess, give and take of, you know, player freedom versus, you know, being responsible and um, having clear guidance from the teams to know what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. Yeah, see, I think in terms of who's to blame, it's just kind of the situation and the timing of when everything was shut down, because it's not like you can pinpoint and say this one person's at fault. I mean, in terms of protocols, yeah, I guess you can, but it also is tough when you have 30 teams that each want to play 60 games, or at least they were, they had so many discussions about how many games should be played. Uh, I think actually a few days ago, I actually uh, had 
like a shower thought moment where I was thinking about what could have been done. And I thought to myself, well, there's three cities in the league with two ballparks in them being New York, Chicago, and uh, Los Angeles. And I thought, what what if they, I mean, it's too late now, but what if they had kind of a 10 team bubble, the geogra- geographical thing where actually funny enough, each of those three cities are within a different uh, geographical region. And what if they, you know, had 10 of the teams there and they hosted games specifically at those ballparks and then reevaluated in the playoffs, um, which I'm again, kind of flawed, but it, I think it would have worked better than what they decided to do and just go to every other uh, stadium where you, you, we've seen kind of with the NHL uh, at Scotiabank arena, they're going to host three games per day. And then the teams are kind of like alternating between the games that they play. And you could have say in New York had two games at city field one day. And on that same day, uh, you had three game or three games in Yankee stadium. And then you have within that, the 10 teams playing and then they alternate it. So they say, okay, well maybe three games today at city field two tomorrow or today at Yankee stadium. And you could have kind of said, okay, these teams are going to play home games at City Field and these guys in Yankee Stadium, and they could have kind of done that, but I don't know. It's just, it's a tough situation. I think it would have been better, um, but it's it's tough. But one thing I also kind of took into consideration is alternating days, but again, that, that won't actually work unless you want a six-month season. Uh, but yeah, like, like I said, going back to this, it, it's just kind of unfortunate that baseball really didn't have a season to begin with. Whereas the NHL and the NBA were able to say, okay, we're going to cap it at whatever I think the Leafs had had finished with like 70 games played or something like that. So you could say, okay, well, this isn't a full year, but it's close enough to a full season. But obviously what I just said was all kind of a plan that probably won't end up happening. But as for what actually is going to happen, I honestly do think the season's going to be canceled and no champion will be awarded this year or no championship because eh, it's just, it's not going to get any better. Uh, and one thing I said to you guys in our group chat is I honestly don't blame Trudeau anymore or the Trudeau government for denying the Blue Jays access to play in Canada because obviously they had the quarantine act and it's very uh, harsh punishments compared to what the U S has in place right now. So I, do I think players would have still gone out to bars and restaurants? I think they would have tried and it, it just, I, I, it's it's tough. I, I don't blame him for saying, you know what, we don't actually want these guys here anymore. And it's just b- baseball, unfortunately, got the the wrong end of this. They they want to play a, at least part of a season, but I I, I don't think it's going to work anymore because one person, you know, we've seen with the uh, the Miami Marlins. I think they said seventeen members of their organization, being teams, uh, players, and support staff and coaches, have tested positive. Well, how long are those guys going to be out for? Are some guys going to be out longer? Are you know are there going to be you know uh, outbreaks in other areas, other teams that we don't even know about yet? You know, I just as much as I really do hate to say this because I was enjoying the season, I I don't think it's going to continue. It'd be, it'd be very hard for it to continue, Jacob. And you know, it, the the real question just seems to be who's going to be the first team to play sixty games, and if that's if we even get close to it, because there has been so many games, you know you know, a handful of games, six teams that have already been shut down for the week or games that have been shut down, period. And the Blue Jays are unfortunately one of them who are missing three games on their schedule now. 
and who knows how they will be made up. But in terms of how, if this was an envelope mark, going back to your question, of course it was. You know, look at the restrictions or look at the protocols that the MLB put in place. They were spending more time arguing about money and prorated salary than actual protocols. And protocols is something that they touched on near the end and they agreed to it just before the season started. So unfortunately, that was this was a cause for concern. But, you know, in terms of a break, uh, an outbreak, I'm sure that everyone knew it was going to happen. This is why the 60-man player pool was created in the first place. But for the virus to wipe out an entire team or most more than half the team, I think that was something that we didn't expect to happen. And unfortunately, uh, based off these protocols, this is why it's happening for so many reasons. And if you want to compare it to the bubbles that the NBA and NHL are doing, you can. But unfortunately, I just don't think this sport would work in a bubble. I don't think they will. There's 30 teams. And unfortunately, there are so many other people that have to go, including coaches, uh, media members, staff members. And compared to the NHL and NBA, not the 31 teams in the NHL aren't playing right now. They only did 24 teams in total. And in the NBA, 22 teams or 24 teams, I think it's 22 teams, are in Disney World. So not all 30 teams are there to begin with. And it's just there for pretty much a postseason run, which is uh, a few <laughs> a few months. But when you look at it, if you want to look at the NBA, here this is the difference between what's going on. These players, we don't know where they're. What, we don't know what they're doing after games, and we've heard all the speculation and rumors what the Marlins players were doing. You know, there's rumors that they went out to a club, they went out to bars, they went out to restaurants. They have no idea the MLB. And in other words, if you want to compare it to what the NBA is doing, there is contact tracing protocols in place. If you leave that bubble in Disney, you have to quarantine for a certain amount of days or a certain amount of negative tests. And you know, if someone breaks the bubble protocols. You know, another way to punish them, a great way to punish them rather than finding them is forcing them to sit in their hotel room for 10 days in quarantine. So what other punishment would be better than that to make them understand the message? And I think, or actually, we've actually seen this in the NBA is uh, Lou Williams, who is a member of the LA Clippers, left the left the bubble to go to a strip joint. And the NBA knew this. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's get, well, that's another topic. But let me just, the point is the NBA knew about this. They knew where he was going. And once he returned, they didn't find him. They said, you know what? You are punished. And we're going to punish you by making you sit in your hotel room for 10 days and quarantine. I'm glad and other players, that, Zion, Yeah, Zion Williamson on New Orleans. He left the bubble for a family matter. Okay, that's fine. It's a family emergency. What did they do when he came back? He had to quarantine for about a week, um, multiple negative tests. And there's the difference. I know the bubble can control that. And that's why the bubble is working in the NHL and NBA. There's zero positive tests for both of those leagues, which is great news for them. But I don't see how the bubble would work in baseball. But there has to be another way for the MLB to put in protocols in in order to track the players. What are they doing after the game? What are they doing before the game? And I know you want to say, you know, if you look at the federal government's decision to deny the Blue Jays, going back to them, you could definitely understand why they're doing it. But unfortunately, but the but the funny part is their plan was the safest one out of all thirty teams because they would be locked in the Rogers Center hotel. They would know where they are at all times. And for God's sake, an emergency, for example, let's say Mike Trout's in town, his wife goes into labor when he's at Rogers Center. Okay, well, guess what? The federal government now knows that he's leaving to go back to Anaheim to be with his wife for the birth of their child. That's the, that's the difference. Uh, they would be they would know where they are at all times. And that's what it's funny because it would be the safest plan. Yet it was the federal government denied the plan and it was the best plan put in place, in my opinion, because you need to track these players. Another sport, the NFL, I don't know how they're going to do it. They're doing what baseball is going to do. They're traveling, except they're not realigning their schedules or anything. They're doing cross-country travel. So have fun with that, NFL. But, you know, the NHL and NBA are in the best possible situations with the bubble. 
I just don't see how baseball could have made the bubble work. But that doesn't mean baseball could have made more creative ideas for the protocols to put in place. And now we're seeing it with the St. Louis Cardinals and the Milwaukee Brewers. That's completely unrelated in terms of the outbreaks that Miami went through in Philly. But, you know, the whole series has pretty much been postponed up in Milwaukee. And now that we're saying that this could easily be canceled by Monday... Uh, the, it, you know, this weekend is a huge deciding factor and it's something that unfortunately we can't change because of, this has already been done. You know, the, the thing that we have to deciding factor is that the test results that come back that have already been done. So there's nothing else that we can do now. It's almost like it's too late, even if they want to salvage the season or if you want to do anything or change anything. So what you have to hope, and unfortunately, yes, that's the only thing you can do is hope. You need to hope that the St. Louis Cardinals outbreak, it was at five today. You need to hope that it's very minimal at the worst, at the worst for the season to continue. Because if it's another five players tomorrow, oh boy, there is no way that they go into Tuesday. But if let's just say there's one or two, then you can debate if it's enough to cancel the season. And the good news for Miami is there was no new cases for them today or Philly. So it looks like that outbreak has stopped, but that doesn't mean the damage has already been done because obviously it has been done. And the Marlins have been wiped out all weekend. We don't know how they're going to make up their games. They've lost about seven or ten games already in their schedule. And that's about a fifth of the season or a sixth of the season. So I think that this is just a matter of hoping because the damage has been done. And the only thing that will decide this now is when the test results come back for St. Louis. Because that's now the new center of attention because they're the latest team to be hit with the outbreak. But the protocols needed to be put in place better. But this is what you get when the two sides, the MLB and the MLBPA, were spending most of their quarantine arguing over money. And it looks like the money that is going to be completely useless now because the season may not even continue going into Tuesday. Yeah, Major League Baseball didn't really have any protocols going into the season. They had some, you know, standardized testing that had to be done, of course, as we saw tests every other day, and then tests for people who were exposed and stuff like that. But there wasn't really any protocol besides that. It was, I guess, no spitting, no high-fiving, which is not really being enforced at all. And besides that, it was left up to the teams to decide what they do. I think... The way it has to be solved, you know, the way you solve this problem and come back from this, you know, outbreak that we saw with the Marlins and as you mentioned, Bryson with the Cardinals, the way to come back from this and solve this problem is to A, shut down the league for a week. You, you can't just keep playing and keep postponing some games because it is getting to be untenable. You know, there's a suggestion that the Blue Jays um, in September when they're supposed to be playing the Phillies, um, that they play three straight doubleheaders, you know, six games in three days because of the series that they just missed against the Phillies. That is untenable. There should be no team that has to do six games in three days. So, to me, you have to stop the season right now. You have to stop the bleeding, stop realigning the schedules, pause things for a week. That gives you the time to figure out um, scheduling conflicts. That gives you the time to figure out positive tests. It hopefully gives you time to isolate players and stop outbreaks, and that solves that problem. It also gives you time to draw up new protocols, new ideas of what you can do. We saw the bubble. Not really possible, but you could do a modified bubble. You could do for sure a bubble for each team in each environment. You know, we saw Santiago Espinal talk about how 
He only goes from the hotel to the ballpark and back again. He orders food in. He doesn't go out. He only stays in the hotel room and the ballpark. You can enforce that as Major League Baseball. You either stay in your apartment slash house if you're on the home team or you stay in your hotel. If you're the away team and you get food in, you cannot go out. You can enforce that as Major League Baseball do a modified bubble. And I think that's going to be popular with the players. I think it would be a solution. And I guess enforcing it now is a big problem. Um, we've seen creative solutions from the NBA. Maybe we would, we adopt those in Major League Baseball. Um, but you have to stop the virus getting into the team, which you can do a modified bubble like I just said. And then the next step is if the virus gets into the team, you have to stop the spread because COVID-19 is going to infect some player at some point. That's just guaranteed. And we've seen it come to fruition here with the Marlins and the Cardinals. It's just question of once one player is infected, can you stop the entire team from being infected? With the Marlins, we saw that was impossible. I think you have to have players not be in the clubhouse at all. Have them, you know, get ready for the game at their own house or apartment or hotel and then come to the stadium ready to go. You shouldn't ever be inside with the players you should always be outside. Um, you should never be spitting, high-fiving, those solutions. Um, Major League Baseball has to figure out a way to stop the spread of the virus getting in and stop the virus from spreading once it's in. And I don't know if they can figure that out in time. Um, honestly, I don't think they can. I think possibly we've seen the last Blue Jay game which is really sad, but I think if I was running things, if I was Rob Manfred, that's how I would solve the problem. So you think that pausing it for a week, so not shutting it down, but pausing it. So that, that's yeah. definitely salvageable, yeah. But then when you look at it too, and if that's going to be the case, the season would definitely be going uh, later into November. So a solution for there, then you can have a hub city. Then you can have a bubble for playoff teams. And that's easy, That's something that could be easily done in an indoor stadium. So it's it's something that could easily be done. And it's something that isn't you know too far-fetched from being something that could be reality so I do give props to you for that and I do think it's a great idea but will they do it I'm not sure because they're already having the fear of playing in November because of a second wave there's so much stuff that um, has been going on clearly you know baseball has pretty much been utter chaos unfortunately and this is what's taking off this you know it's pretty much taken over the entire sport right now in terms of topics when there's been so many great games that have been on um, and it, it's it's truly sad, and you know they did so there's so much, you know wars about money for these past four months. People missed the game so much. There was polls about how many people missed the game. There was ratings from the opening night against the um, opening night against the Nationals with the Yankees. You know the 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 ratings that was going on, and it it peaked at a, it peaked for the first time in almost a decade. So I don't know. Hopefully the season salvaged. We don't know, but at this point, once again, there's nothing actually the this the the league can do right now you have to wait for the test results to come and you know if if they're bad you know for sure that this could easily be canceled on money and for sure that this could have easily been the last blue jays game played of uh the, of the season yeah i think unfortunately whether the league wants it whether we want it whether the players want it this season will be canceled uh, and i think whether they think that's the right thing to do in terms of wanting to get a season underway. I just, it's not what they want to do. And I think they're going to deny it until the end, but eventually you can't have an outbreak over 30 teams in 
however many people they have at the ballpark at any time. You know, it's just it's it's just not going to work, unfortunately. Unless, like you said, some type of bubble, whether it be as uh, exclusive as the NBA or somewhat modified, I think they have to somehow enforce players saying you're either in your hotel room or you're at the ballpark. And if you leave, like what happened to Lou Williams, well, tough luck for you. You're you're quarantining for 10 days or however many negative tests they have to have in a row. Yeah. And before you move on, Mark, too, the, the biggest part that I, that you mentioned indirectly and what I think is the biggest part is the contact tracing. So like you said, if you want to have players in their apartments only going to the, you know, going to the ballpark or, you know, leaving for any other sort of reason, the league needs to know about where they are at all times because the contact tracing is clearly the biggest um, the biggest, you know, factor in this, because look what happened with the Marlins, you know, uh, with the outbreak happening, people are wondering what the heck were they doing? And clearly they weren't sitting in their hotels or their, their houses or apartments. They were doing something else. They were out somewhere else. And that is pretty much how it started for that outbreak. We just don't know exactly what, but we have an idea that they were at some sort of club, restaurant, bar, you name it. So the contract, contact, um, Tracing is important and that needs to be addressed and it might be too late unfortunately because it seems that baseball at this point they're trying to make things on they're trying to do this on the fly and it's clearly something that you can't outrun and we've experienced that and we've known that for the past four to five months. Yeah I mean all we can do is keep our fingers crossed and honestly I don't think Rob Manfred will ever pull the plug on this season. I think he has too much money riding on it. The owners have too much money riding in on it. I think the only thing that we'll see is the players pulling out of this season. Um, you know, Tony Clark, the Players Association, saying, no thanks, this is not safe for our players. So I think that's the only way we'll see this season end. But that could come uh, over the course of the next few days, and we will see whether it does happen um, probably by the time we next record, and fingers crossed that it doesn't, and that we can keep watching baseball, but that it can be done safely. Um, So the last thing we wanted to talk about today is the rule changes for this season. Of course, we've seen them in action a few times for the Blue Jays with a runner on second base in the 10th inning. It has not swung the Blue Jays' way at all. In the two occasions that it's happened for them, they've lost both those games. First against the Nationals, which they lost, or excuse me, first against the Rays, um, which they lost six to five, and then the second time against the Nationals, which they lost four to zero after the tenth inning. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on this? I'm, I, I guess it's not as bad as I thought it would be. Um, I, I think it can work if you actually try to translate it over into a 162 game season, but. The, I, I think there should be a few adjustments made. I think it should only come into effect in the 12th inning, so give your team the 10th and 11th to score normally. Um, I think some people have suggested moving to a point system um, where, you know, if you get into extra innings, you get one point automatically. I guess that's kind of like the NHL. You can correct me, guys, if I'm wrong there. Um, I personally don't like that. I think that makes things a little bit too confusing for fans. I like it very simple, just wins and losses. But I think as well, players should start at first and not second. Because that I, I feel like that's a happy medium. I feel like once you're at second, like you can bunt, sack, fly, and you've won the game. And you still have an out to work with. But then if you have a player at first, you can't really do that same type of baseball. You can't play small ball and get a runner home without having an official at bat. You know, you have to 
either, you know, single, double home run, whatever you have to do something to get the batter over, and then you can do those things. So those are the two fixes I would make, starting the batter at first and only doing it in the 12th inning. Um, but besides that, I, I'm honestly pleasantly surprised with how this rule is working out. You know, to be honest with you, I don't mind the extra innings rule, and that's one of the only rule changes this year that I understand as other than the, as well as the DH. I love the universal DH. You guys know that, but the runner on second base makes sense because you don't want the games to go in too long and you don't want to keep the players at the park for too long for sure. Um, in the season like this, 60 games, you're going to see a whole whack of scenarios that you've never seen before. An example would be the postponement of games like crazy. Uh, we've never seen that before in, in terms of the frequency of it. We only see it because of rain or weather, or maybe something else going on in society. But and then seven inning doubleheaders, something that you're going to see only for this year too. And why not add it? Because you know it is 2020. But for the runner on second and extras, I like the idea that you mentioned, Mark. If you want to keep this long term, and if you want to keep the games as short as possible, even going forward, because that's something that clearly uh, Rob Manfred's been focused on is the pace of play. So something maybe you want to consider after a few innings, then start a runner on first or second. I'm fully on board with that. I don't mind. I don't want to see it return next year where the runner starts at second for sure right in the 10th inning. I would think that would be horrible for the game, and I would I would absolutely hate it, especially watching it 162 times uh, a year if, if when they go back to their usual schedule. But the seven-inning doubleheaders, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I hate it. And, you know, I usually don't hate a lot of things, but I, I flat-out hate it. Uh, it's one of the things that I don't understand, but when you look at it, I guess you could understand it to the, you know, I guess to a bit because of all the post moments of the games. And it's something that was also created on the fly. This, the 17 doubleheader was only agreed to like a few days ago. And they're prepared for, to do multiple doubleheaders if the season continues. And if you look at it, the Marlins have to make up for a lot of games they've lost. The Jays have to make up for the three games. Uh, the Phillies lost about four or five. The Cardinals and Brewers are now losing games. So if they want to play 14 innings rather than 18 innings, um, you know, I guess I guess it's something that we have to adapt to, but I personally hate it regardless. And, you know, it, this is pretty much the only rule change that will for sure not come back next year, uh, thank God. And I, I would be very, very angry if it did come back. But the runner on second, you know, it's gotten a lot of good recognition and feedback from the minor league season. So uh, I guess that's a good thing. You know, I guess it's something at least players have, you know, somewhat liked or somewhat been in favor of or you know, agreed to accept it where they were coming from. So, you know, other than the Blue Jays pretty much having no luck with extra innings uh, around the game, it's okay. And like I said, Mark, I like I like the idea you mentioned for next year and in the future. If you want to have that rule, don't have it right away. Maybe have it after two, um, like two innings and similar to a hockey, you know, overtime. If overtime doesn't happen, then you go to a shootout. So you start with one and then to speed up the game, you end it with something that would be controversial because the shootout's controversial, and I'm sure that this would be controversial regardless. So I don't mind it at all. The point system I would definitely not be in favor of for baseball because baseball's all about games and games back. And like I said, keep it simple, like you said, completely on board with you on that. But it'll be interesting to see how many of these rules uh, stay into effect going into next year. And another one, too, is the expanded playoffs. Who knows if it'll it'll be back next year, and who knows if people will like it, and who knows if we will even get to that point. And lastly, who knows if we'll even get to Tuesday with this season. So it is 2020, but some of the rule changes I'm on board with to understand and some I absolutely hate. And in this case, the seven inning doubleheaders, I absolutely hate. Yeah, so see, I'm kind of interesting. I kind of disagree. And funny enough, if you could uh, read everything that I wrote down for this episode, uh, or at least for this section, this probably have to get an adult rating, rating because my God, I, I bleeping hate this new rule. 
because it's just I like what you said, Mark, about how you know maybe make it in the twelfth inning or you have uh, a runner on first base rather than second because. Like you said, the pitchers are basically kind of getting the back end of this. And, you know, I, I thought if you get two deep fly balls that uh, the outfield catches, you still could end up losing the game. And uh, one thing that I do like, uh, Buck uh, Martinez and Dan Showman have been talking a lot on the on the broadcast about how this increases the strategy because do you uh, potentially, do you take out a runner with a good bat in order to put a faster guy on and put, risk losing his bat if the game goes on long enough that he would end up batting again, you know, do you kind of uh, exchange, you know, a quick uh, shot at winning or do you try to win the game normally? And it's just, oh my God, I just, I, I, I understand it from that perspective, but I just, I really do not like this rule. And what I thought about is kind of, say you flip the script here and, if you want to speed the game up, instead of three outs, you only get two outs per inning, which sounds stupid because that's the, that's the point. It just, uh, yeah, exactly. It sounds awful because batters, you know, you have one strikeout and then any type of sacrifice, uh, bunt or a fly out or whatever, you don't score off of that. And it's just, it, it ruins a part of the game, which is why I think, honestly, this, this new rule would it's kind of ruining the game. And I'm not just salty because uh, the Blue Jays have lost both of the extra inning games. I just, I do not like this rule at all because like I said, you know, we've seen with Shun Yamaguchi, I'm not going to excuse his, uh, his struggles on the mound, but it's, oh God, I just do not like this rule because it, like I said, you, you're trying to speed the game up by giving, you know, one team kind of, the wrong end of this and it's just, I it's it, it, it I, I just don't like it because you like I said you have this weird spot of well do I take a guy out of the game like I think uh in the Nationals game I can't remember if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. ended the inning but I, I think uh the fifth spot might have been the last batter in that half but I kept thinking to myself man I really hope this guy at least he just walks or god forbid gets hit by a pitch so he's on first base so that you don't get to the point where it's it's a zero zero game. Do I want to risk losing his bat? Although he's not been playing the greatest, but do I want to risk losing his bat in order to get a faster guy on base? You know, or do I want to try and win with with uh, hopefully a power hitter? It's just I do not like it. I I think like I said, it's forcing too much, or it's it's trying to make baseball something that it isn't, and saying okay, yeah, well, haha, you know you make one mistake, you know, you allowed even just a base hit and you, you lose the game, which I mean, that, that's happened in the, in the past before pitchers have been put into those types of situations, but it's just artificially charging a run to somebody. Just, I, I, I do not like it. And I, I really, really hope that it does not, if, if they want to continue by saying in the 12th inning, you do this, like you said, Mark, or a first base, first base, I'm okay with, I mean, I'm not completely okay with it, but I can understand it and I can at least uh, accept it. But if this continues in the future, I, I will not like it. I don't like the shootout in hockey. And to me, this is kind of the same thing. It just, I really, I swear, I hope this wow. does not continue. That was five minutes of Jacob just bashing the rules. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I was in the same position as you before this season. 
But now seeing it in action, as much as it has hurt the Blue Jays, like, I honestly kind of like it. And you can, like, crucify me for saying that, but, like, watching it in action, there's just so much, like, suspension watching it. It makes it instantly high stakes for both of the teams. And I don't know. I just thought it was a lot of fun. It made me really nervous watching it, and I think that's the goal. Um, I... I, I enjoyed it. I, I was pleasantly surprised with how it worked out. Well, yeah, the 60-game season definitely puts more suspense to it as well because of how important it mm-hmm. is, for sure. Yeah, I don't mind it either, to be honest with you, but in a, in a full season, it's something that maybe you start the 10th inning as per usual, and then you work towards it if it goes deeper into the games. And, of course, in playoff games, you completely eliminate the rule because you don't want you don't want a playoff game to end like that. But, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. Like, is it – sorry, is it going to – uh, is going to translate into the playoffs. Like we've seen with the NHL where you just play 20-minute overtime yeah. periods until someone scores. The rule's not supposed to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then I'm okay with it in that sense. That's one thing I do. Uh, I, I guess I oppose the idea of a team like losing the World Series because of a runner on second base, but at the same time, it's weird to think of one rule that's in place for the entire season and then you just don't play by in the postseason. Like that is kind of weird. And then I guess the other... The other rule that we were talking about, the seven-inning doubleheader, I I totally don't like that. I get the purpose of it for this season, but that's just something that I completely disagree with. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll wrap things up there for today. Um, it's been a wild time, and this might be our last podcast of the season, which is incredibly disappointing. But uh, we'll be back here next week, depending what happens, and we'll be here to talk through it all. But thank you. To everyone for listening, as always, you can rate and review our podcast on iTunes and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Section138Pod to stay up to date with everything that we're doing and everything that we're posting and all the podcasts that we have going on. But until then, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week. That was by far in three years the most crazy episode I have ever experienced behind the scenes.